0: helpcom slash sober. Childhood trauma, family history of addiction, and growing up with a parent who struggles with substances greatly increases your risk of developing your own issues with addiction. We know this, but sometimes if you look at families, there is one sibling who makes it out fine and the other comes out with a ton of hardship and mental health challenges. But why is that? Is one sibling strong and the other one is weak? So in this episode, I want to explore why some siblings do not develop addiction despite having the same home life, genetics, and childhood trauma as the sibling who eventually goes on to develop a problem. I'm going to use myself and my brother as a case study for this episode because my brother is just a regular guy and uh, you know about me already. I have a few studies to share about the brains of siblings and non-addicted healthy controls with no family history. So let's dig in. One very interesting study published in 2012 in Science looked at the brains of 47 people with addiction, 49 of their non-addicted siblings, and 50 healthy controls. The siblings of the people with addiction had minimal exposure to drugs, but they grew up in the same environment and also experienced childhood trauma like domestic violence and sexual abuse. They tested all of the participants on how well they could control their impulses. And the way they tested this is with a stop signal task, which is an exercise that makes you repeatedly push a button in response to an on screen prompt. And then without warning, you're suddenly required to resist doing that. The people with addiction and their siblings had significantly reduced performance on this task compared to healthy controls. So this suggests that maybe the impulse control problem came first and made those people more vulnerable to addiction. When the researchers scanned the brains of all the participants, they found that the non-addicted siblings had abnormalities in the connections between the areas of the brain that are responsible for self-control and inhibiting impulses. These connections were weak for both the addicted individuals and their siblings compared to healthy controls. And this study found that the weaker these connections were, the worse they did on the stop signal task. There isn't just one area of the brain that controls our impulses. There are several that work together and these connections allow them to form a network and talk to each other. So if this network is weak, then it becomes harder for the person to control their impulses. The medial orbitofrontal cortex is a part of the brain that allows us to be flexible and change our behavior as our environment changes. Decreased activity to the orbitofrontal cortex was seen in the participants with addiction, but not in their siblings. Many studies have found decreased activity in the orbitofrontal cortex for a variety of different drugs and alcohol. Damage to this area is also seen in OCD, and we know that drinking is a compulsive behavior too. Greater activity in this area is linked to positive emotions and a more pleasant outlook on life. It's thought that the reduced activity of the orbitofrontal cortex contributes to why we keep drinking and think it's going to be different this time, even though it's consistently never different. And importantly, this study could not determine whether the orbitofrontal cortex damage existed before the people struggled with addiction or was a result of their addiction, or it could even be a combination of the two. The people who struggled with addiction also had disruption to their precuneus, which is a region of the brain that interacts with the insula. And the insula is involved in how we differentiate and understand our emotions. And both of these areas of the brain work together to help us be aware of ourselves. So disrupted connections between these two areas result in the person having less tolerance for craving, hunger, and frustration. And this is pretty self-explanatory, right? If you have less tolerance for craving and frustration, then you're way more likely to drink and struggle to stay stopped. And lower tolerance for frustration means that triggers are going to be more powerful and intense and you're more likely to feel overwhelmed. So this was another difference in the brains of the people who are struggling with addiction. And the conclusions of this study are that there are some brain changes that occur from childhood trauma that make people more vulnerable to addiction, but it doesn't mean that you're doomed to develop an addiction no matter what. The siblings did not, despite struggling with impulse control, so somehow they developed more resilience and were more proactive than their siblings who struggled with addiction. Being a reactive person whose emotions are controlled by everyone and everything around them increases the risk of developing an addiction and staying stuck in it. Another point that this study didn't make, but that I would like to make is not everyone likes drugs and alcohol. We talked back in episode 71 about how trauma may make drugs and alcohol feel more pleasurable. Some people think drugs and alcohol feel like the best thing ever and other people think they feel fine. If alcohol feels better for you, then you're more likely to drink it. These non-addicted siblings may struggle with something else besides drugs and alcohol. So drugs and alcohol just may not do it for them as much as it does for the sibling that struggles with addiction. I always like to look at myself as a case study. So if I can use my brother and I as an example here, since we both grew up in the same home and he doesn't struggle with alcohol in any way. Here are two critical ways that we differ though that I think influenced why I developed a problem and he did not. Alcohol feels like the best thing ever for me and it feels fine for him. He drinks more for the taste than because it's super pleasurable. So that decreases his risk by a lot. And another huge difference is our partners. My husband liked to drink and party with me, and he grew up in a family who drank a lot. He thought daily drinking was normal, which is something he discussed when he was on this podcast in episode 32. When my husband and I got together, he liked to go out and drink. And when I started drinking heavily every day, he really didn't think it was weird and even participated most days. But my brother's fiance doesn't like alcohol. She doesn't really like the taste and she doesn't like the way the alcohol feels. I don't even think she's been drunk in her life ever, so because of this, it's less likely for my brother to start partying every day. Is he just gonna start drinking every day when his fiance doesn't? The barrier to developing a problem is higher for him because of these two factors. In episode 74, we talked about resilience and how that protects people from developing a problem. And resilience is not the same thing as self-control or inner strength. So don't think that because you are not very resilient, it means you're a weak-willed loser. Resilience is a set of protective factors that helps people to successfully deal with and overcome exposure to significant risk, adversity, and harmful environments without turning to substances or some other self-destructive method of coping. Resilience doesn't mean strong versus weak. It means this person has certain personality traits, attitudes, support, and brain networks that allows them to be more capable of dealing with adversity and hardship. Brain studies on recreational drug users that never made it to addiction have found that they recruit compensatory brain systems that buffer the impact of their drug use and increase their resilience. Okay, so you probably heard that sentence and you're like, um, WTF, Jill, like, come on. So let me explain. Brain compensation is the ability of the brain to increase its activity in certain networks and to also recruit additional areas to support whatever we're trying to do. This goes back to neuroplasticity. And if you want to learn more on that topic, then check out episode 46. Some people's brains just adapt more than others. That's what plasticity is. The ability to adapt and change based on what is going on around you. So brain compensation is very similar. It's the ability of the brain to increase its activity in certain networks and to recruit additional areas to support whatever you're trying to do or whatever you're trying to deal with. I see addiction as a brain deficit where our brains struggle with their capacity to adapt to our current environment and learn to process things like emotions correctly without us getting overwhelmed. So instead, because we struggle with this, it's easy for us to use alcohol to fix these deficits. And as we drink heavily, it damages the brain even more. So now we have even less capability of dealing with stuff. So the things that cause these deficits are genetics, childhood trauma, never having healthy coping strategies modeled for you, beginning drinking at a very young age, chronic stress, mental health struggles, and so much more. Where my brother and I had very similar genetics and grew up in the same home environment, we each had different exposure to stressors. And just because we grew up in the same home and have very similar genetics, doesn't mean that our brains are wired the same. Maybe his brain is wired in a way that makes it more resilient than mine, and mine is more fixed and has trouble adapting. So in last week's episode about shame, I joked around about how we have less cognitive control if we are prone to shame, because being a guilt-prone person has been shown to be linked to greater cognitive control and less impulsivity. We may be starting out with reduced cognitive control, but then when we blast our brains with alcohol, it weakens our cognitive control even more. My brother hasn't blasted his brain with alcohol. I think he's only been drunk like a couple times in his entire life. Maybe he has slightly less cognitive control because of childhood trauma and genetics, but he hasn't dumped a bunch of alcohol on top of that, making the problem even worse. A few studies on other psychiatric disorders like bipolar disorder have found specific connections in the brain that offer protection against developing the condition when family history is present. This suggests that similar neural networks could be found for alcohol use disorder, and we could potentially use these as biomarkers of who will be more resistant to developing an addiction, or in other words, who will be more resilient, and who will be more at risk based on how their brain communicates with itself. A 2021 study published in NeuroImage Clinical looked at data from the human connectome project with addicted individuals their unaffected siblings, and healthy controls. They found several different sets of brain networks that either predicted the probability of AUD or provided resilience. And even some resilience networks that were able to counteract some higher risk networks. And the strongest risk network that they found was in regions of the brain that govern executive control functions. So these networks would influence our cognitive abilities. And remember, I said less cognitive control earlier. So here's some more evidence for that one, but also with cognitive flexibility, so your ability to adapt and with inhibitory control. And here's one to make you feel better about yourself. The strongest correlation that they found was between certain types of intelligence like working memory and reasoning skills and the risk for AUD. So we're not all that bad. We're pretty intelligent too. Studies have found that people with addiction and their unaffected family members struggle with behavioral control, specifically with impulse control, anger, and aggression. So I'll have to do another episode about risk and resilience brain networks, and I'm very interested overall in the topic of resilience, and I highly recommend checking out my episode on resilience if you haven't. It's episode 74. And remember, resilience doesn't mean strong person versus weak person. So I will leave you there. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you would share it with someone. And I will talk to you next week.